1 Corinthians is practical holiness. Because 2 Corinthians is ministry. And if I don't have practical holiness, I don't have to worry about ministry. I mean, I know a lot of people who are really busy about Jesus, but they never got practical holiness. And, you know, they said, but I'm leading people to Christ. And I, you know, a blind pig can find slop. That's the key. Jesus said that we are to bear much fruit. The difference in our today, our society is you and I have been impacted on what does it really mean to bear fruit. And my question that I have to ask is, is that fruit biblical? Uh, if you believe that, say, that fruit is the number of people you've got to say have said the sinner's prayer with you, you're mistaken. That's not fruit. That's not fruit. Okay? Um, there's a lot of people... I could ask any person at this day and age, and you want to go to heaven or hell, say this prayer and you'll go to heaven. And I bet you I can get more people to say that prayer than you. But I don't think heaven's going to get crowded. Alright? That's the key that we're looking at. This church in Corinth had a lot of problems. Okay? Please note this about the church in Corinth. It wasn't doctrine. I love that. I love that. But they biggest problem was, was bringing the traditions of their society, their understandings in, and bringing it into the church and trying to blend the two together. And they couldn't figure out what was going on. There are some issues in this church that are alive and well, and I would even go to the point of saying thriving in the church in America today. No, and it is not the gift of tongues. Okay? I believe that one of the problems they had was what Spiros Zodiades referred to as personality cults. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. I am of Christ. I see that. I am of Swindoll. I am of MacArthur. I am of... See what we do? Please understand that this is a contemporary letter to a contemporary church. And that's what we're struggling with. What happens is, is that their freedom had mastered them. Their freedom had mastered them. I see many in the body of Christ today whose freedom has mastered them. Their greatest desire is their freedom. I am free in Christ. Amen, brothers. Amen. But my freedom does not have mastery over me. Chapter 10, verse 31 sums it. Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I like that because the mundane things, eating and drinking, do it to the glory of God. I'm still trying to figure out how I can drive down the road with a quarter pounder with cheese and fries, steer with my knee and eat and do that to the glory of God. Perhaps if someone were to see me doing that and their faith would grow, then it was done to the glory of God. Okay? We're looking at this message, and this is actually the third message in this series, but we're only on point two. We looked last week at what I call the design was stated in chapter 11, verse 3. I want you to understand that the head of God is the head of, that Christ is the head of every man, and that man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Okay? Uh, he's telling them something there that they did not understand, they were not aware of. That phrase you see there, I want you to understand, refers to that. 
Okay? In referring to that, he says, I want you to understand the vastness of God's design. And I dealt with this in the first message of this. Um, and that design is that God has designed existence to have two foundations. One is a foundation of authority and the other one is a foundation of submission. Okay? There's not a part of creation you cannot see that played out. I see it in the workplace. I see it in families. I see it um, in the body of Christ. Uh, I see it uh, whether you're in the military. I see it in every part of our society that you have relationships. There's always a relationship is based on authority and submission. Authority and submission. And that's really what he's kind of getting at here. But you can't lose the fact that he's coming out of your freedom. Your freedom. You have freedom in Christ. Absolutely. Corinth was set up as a free city. When slaves were released from Roman slavery, they were given a parcel in the city of Corinth. And in that parcel of the city of Corinth, they were allowed at that point in time to be a free man. So you would have a similar situation in Corinth that you have in the United States. Our freedom is the important thing. The controversy has arisen again on the burning of the flag. And it is a freedom that we have. And that we should not take that freedom away. We have freedom of speech and on all the rest of it. And I just get tickled at it because I keep thinking, you know, I guess I'd rather have my congressman dealing with that than the other things that could be messing with my life. Uh, so, uh, but we fight that. We are here for our freedom. And we, our president has said we are now going to export freedom. Okay. Um, my question is, is there any money in it? <laughs> I mean, we have a trade deficit, and I would like to see that. We get enough freedom out there where we have... No, just kidding. All right. He deals with something here in verse 3 that is a passion of mine, that brings a zeal to me. Okay? Christ is the head of every man. The man is head of every woman. God is the head of Christ. That's how vast... God's design on authority and submission is. Why? Christ is submitted to God the Father. I shared this last week. If Christ is not submitted to God, you and I are non-redeemable. You got that? So when you think about submission and authority, you had better cherish it. Because had not our Savior led by being a servant you and I would be eternally damned for our fallenness. We look at submission today as this nasty thing. And the truth of the matter is, you have been led by a Savior who said, submit. Our Sunday school class we were teaching today uh, on that very thought. The greatest in the kingdom will be the servant. The servant. The table waiter. But there's good tips. Okay? The table waiter. Why? We have freedom in Christ. Okay? We need to pay attention to that. I want to share with you a verse that I, I want you to think about. Because when I think about that Christ is the head of man, man is the head of woman, and God is the head of Christ. But I made an issue last week, and I want you to remember that issue. It's not speaking of inferiority. Okay? Is Christ inferior to God? No. 
But his role was definitely different, correct? And that's really what you're dealing with in this text in Corinthians is the inferiority between men and women. There is none. But God said, I have designed something that says their role is different. Uh, I share with you this, and, and I, I'll share it. I think it's his third week. People have asked me, what do you think, or do you, you know, what do you think of women pastors? And I said, I don't. Why? If I allow a woman to be a pastor, okay, the noun, I have sinned. I have literally put a woman in a role she was not designed by God to do. And I am in sin. Okay? Women were not designed to be elders in the church. God said no. Listen, that's the way He designed it. Alright? So if I allow that as a man then I am saying God's design isn't that good. Okay? And I'm not going to do that. <laughs> if you want to do that, you go do that. I, hey, knock yourself out. I'm not going to stand before God and say, you know what, what you planned didn't, didn't seem to be working, so I tried mine. Okay? I'm just not going to do that. I want to give you a text. I want you to think about this. It comes out of the Gospel of John, chapter 17. This is the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is His prayer before His uh, arrest. And there's a lot to hear, but I I just want to focus on something uh, that has just been just amazing to me. Verse 17 says, Sanctify Him in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves may also be sanctified in truth. Okay. Um, He's speaking to you and me in that portion of his prayer. Okay. This is literally the Lord's Prayer. Okay. A lot of people think the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's not the Lord's Prayer. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. Okay. So he says, sanctify him in truth. He's not speaking to his disciples anymore. First part of the text, he deals with his own prayer for himself. Second part of the text, he deals with the prayer for the disciples who were gathered around him at that point in time. And then he says, now I pray for those who will come to me through their words. That would be you and me. And he wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to be set apart by the truth. Okay? Why? I do not ask on behalf of these alone. This is the reference to the the men and women who would be in that upper room at the Last Supper. But for those who will believe in me through their word. Okay? Here's his prayer for you and I. Verse 21. That they may all be one. Okay? Even... Okay, now he says, here's what I want that one to look like. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Let me ask you a question. You have God incarnate praying to God the Father. Ask yourself a question. Is this prayer answered? So what happened? What happened? Are we unified? 
I think the key that is missing in unification at our day and age is the fact that we've missed sanctify them with truth. And there's only one. Your word is truth. Okay? You've heard it said before. It is not a matter of you mastering the Scriptures. It is a matter of the Scriptures mastering you. Too many of us today want to fight with them. Fine, knock yourself out. I've argued with the Scripture many, many, many hours. And, and I'm O for a billion times. Okay? And I would like to tell you that I've quit arguing with the Scriptures, but any given day, I may argue with the Scriptures. Okay? So, what we're dealing with now is this place of men and women. Do you understand that the unity that God the Father has with God the Son is the same unity that God the Child has? It's the same ch that the saints of God has? Do you ever thought about that? Figure that out for a second. When Jesus Christ died for you, He clothed you in His righteousness. So when the Father looks at you, what does He see? Christ. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You know what that means? Everything that is Jesus's is yours and mine. It is not future tense. It's now. But if you look at the church today, does she live like she's a child of the Most High God? Why? Because I want to have my freedom. I want my little bickering. I want this. I want that. I shared with you, there's legalists out there. They're all over the place. But legalism is easy. Why? It's external. Christianity is internal. Christianity is internal. And if God graces you with the privilege of ministering to a legalist, then you have to put your freedom back here. Walk that person arm in arm until they understand the fullness of their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And He will grace you with some of these. Okay? Because you will have to learn perseverance. <laughs> and when you tangle up with a legalist, you will get the privilege of growing in grace in ways you've never dreamed. Okay? But now we're back here to the role of the man, the woman, and Christ. Alright? And I want to show you that he laid out the design stated in verse 3. And now he's going to give us the application of that design in verses 4 through 6. This is a fascinating text. This is a corrupted text. Okay? Uh, a friend of mine said at one time that the uh, Bible is like a POW, a prisoner of war. Okay? If you persecute it long enough, you can make it say anything. Okay? And that's true. This is one of the texts that gets persecuted. Okay? Well, it is. There's several texts in this book that get persecuted, and I believe that's part of the problem in our church today. All right? God's design is authority and submission. The issue that shows up here is verse 4, 5, and 6. Okay? Um, the true translation of this is a veil. A woman must be veiled. It isn't a hat. It isn't a scarf. It is a veil. Okay? 
The question that comes up, is this cultural? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. But let me tell you something else about it. It is also an absolute truth. Okay? You cannot take historical truth from the epistles. When Paul wrote the church in Rome, he's dealing with what? Roman believers who were under the emperor of Rome. That's why he says you are to submit to the authorities who are above you. But what about slavery? It doesn't matter. You submit to them. Okay? So when you look at this, you ask yourself some questions. And I've shared a lot of the historical background on this. But I need to ask you something this day. This very day. Can you look... Okay, now be honest with me. You're going to reason with me now. Can you look at a person, their attire? Can you look at a person's dress and see rebellion or see submission? Can you? Absolutely. People ask me, they said, uh, well, Terry, you know, you're out west now and out west is sort of the, the, the laid back era. Why do you wear a suit? Why do you wear a, a, a tie? And I says, because I can. I'm free in Christ. Why? You know what? I have dealt with older people. Okay? And I'm talking eight, late 80s, early 90s. And um, for me to minister as a pastor, as a brother in Christ, and take the title that they would perceive me as, I can't go in there with uh, cutoffs and a tank top. Okay? I'm not going to. They're not going to listen to what I got to say, right? They're going to look for the suit, right? Now let me tell you something. Apostle Paul never wore a suit, okay? But I'm not going to cause someone to stumble. Paul said, "Even if I never have to eat meat again, I will not cause someone to stumble." Okay? I have a freedom to dress as I want to. Moderation. I, in our society today, I better watch saying that, huh? Okay, but I have that ability. When I was in Russia I, uh, last spring, actually, that wasn't very long ago, was it? Um, I knew that when I preached, I had to have a suit. I knew when I preached, I had to have black shoes. I knew when I preached that I didn't put your hands in your pockets. And I'm bad at that. And I was just, it was awful for me because I have a, I mean, why do you have pockets if you don't put your hands in them? Okay, so I had a hard time with that. I knew that when you read Scripture, you always stood. I knew that you prayed before the meal and after the meal. But see, I knew this all going in. I knew that you never laid that down. The only place that this Holy Scripture could be laid is on your lap or on your pulpit. Why? That's the Word of God. It is holy and revered. Okay? And part of that, I think, well, he should carry some of that over. But let me tell you something. A lot of that is tradition. In the church, on Sunday morning worship, you knew who the married women were. See, in Russia, you can't afford to go out and buy your wife a nice ring or something to that effect. You don't have the money. Your wife said, I am submitted to my husband because she would have a scarf on. It may be a full scarf. It may be one of them, they fold it in half and put it across this way like that. And the single women didn't have their heads covered. Why? I'm available. That is their traditions. And I honored their traditions. I knew that I had to wear a jacket. I knew I had to wear dress clothes, a shirt and a tie. All right? Is that cultural? Absolutely. I know that if you sit down, you don't show anybody the bottom of your 
foot. You do not drink anything in the worship time. You do not chew gum in the worship time. Yes, Stephanie, repent. Okay? All right, Steph. I'd like to tell you I planned that, but I didn't. Okay? So Paul is saying here to you and I, pay attention to the customs, especially those that are important at maintaining our roles. Our roles, okay? Man is submitted to who? Christ. Woman is submitted to who? Man. That's what the text says. Okay? If you don't like the text, take it up with the author. Alright? We maintain our roles. Why? Because God said man is going to give him the place of authority and woman will be given the place of submission. How does it apply? You maintain it. If there's a cultural picture of it, maintain the cultural picture. This text right here is the one that I struggle and I was going to do a, a, a quick count before I came in, but I didn't. So if I offend you this day, sorry. <laughs> I don't know why a man has to have an earring. This text is why. I don't understand. Why? God's not talking about how do you look in church. He's saying, I have made a design that says this is authority and this is submission. Maintain your roles. If you don't believe me, look at the next section on verse 7. He says there, verse 8, what is the length of a man's hair? If you get out of your role, you'll look like a girl. And he says, don't do that. Don't do that. But he says, women, you don't need to look like a man in your haircut. Alright? So why would a guy want to wear makeup? Okay? Why would a man? But you've got to understand the culture. Deuteronomy chapter 22 tells me that I'm supposed to wear a dress. Okay? Why? It's Levites. <laughs> Do you see what I'm getting at? Is it cultural? Absolutely. But there's also the picture that says, here's the role, the man and the woman. It even goes to the point, and I'll look at this, it'll be defended in 7 through 10. But in 7 through 10, he'll say that the woman must wear the symbol of what? Submission. Where? On her head. Do you know that in the end of the age, during the time of the Great Tribulation. Do you know that the Great Tribulation is only three and a half years long? The Great Tribulations. There's a, a time of travail. And, you know, they call it labor pains. And I've never experienced labor pains. Um, my wife has. <laughs> she cherishes them. <laughs> but um, there's a time of them labor pains. And they get rip more rapid, more rapid. But there's the great travail, the great tribulation. Do you understand that men and women who will exist on the planet must take on a sign of submission to the authorities over them? And it is called in scriptures, the mark of the beast. Okay? This text says that a woman is to take on the mark of Submission. Why? That is her role. That is her role. Alright? 
We conform in our society to the manners of dress, which our society says give us a mark of modesty, of submission. Okay? Um, Let me go back to the Russian church. Sunday morning worship. They gather together and it's a collective uh, collecting of the, 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 the saints for the equipping for the work of ministry. Every female is wearing a dress or a skirt. Every single one of them. Okay? On Wednesday night, they have a time of prayer and then they have choir practice. The women would wear slacks. It was, they believed it was appropriate. But when you had the formal corporate worship that took place on Sunday mornings, sometimes on Saturday nights, or any time that the pastors called for a time of corporate worship, the women, every single one of them, would wear dresses. Why? It's a sign of submission. Submission. Okay? Um, we have a society that has unisex clothes. Okay, what does that mean? Right? And better yet, why? Why is that there? And, and I will argue that it is deceiver at work blurring the lines. Blurring the lines. Um, you've all seen from the back and sometimes from the side that if they had not had a beard, you would not have known their gender. Correct? Okay, this, this massiveness that we need to understand, uh, is it, we need to apply it to ourselves. How does it apply? Every man okay, um, who has on his head is the literal translation. Okay, the reference is a veil. Every man who has a veil on his head when praying or prophesying, what does he do? He disgraces his head. Okay, who's his head? Christ. Every man who has a veil on his head is doing what? What does your scripture say? Disgracing Christ. Okay? That's real straightforward. Okay? When they're doing what? Um, I basically call this the, 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 the two dimensions of ministry. There's only two dimensions of ministry. Did you know that? Just two. Talking to God and talking to people about God. That's it. I'd like to tell you that there was more and it was more complicated, but God created us and knew that we could not handle complicated. Alright? So basically in ministry, you have two dimensions. Okay? I look at it as the vertical and the horizontal. I mean, I gotta keep it as simple as I can. Alright? And basically, when you pray, you are in the vertical. And when you prophesy, you are in the horizontal. Alright? When I pray, I am petitioning God. When I prophesy, I am telling about people, telling people about the God in which I prophesy. Alright? Men, if you do either with the veil on, you disgrace God, Christ. Okay? Please, it is not a hat. Please understand that. That's not what he's saying. It's not a hat. Okay? Um, women, if you 
are in the vertical dimension of ministry or in the horizontal dimension of ministry and you have your head covered, uncovered, you disgrace who? Your husband, your man, your authority. So it says. Okay, question that just bang hits me when I study this. Is this a universal rule? Is it a universal rule? Um, should we all be grabbing a prayer shawl? I don't know. I'll give you a footnote. Orthodox Judaism and Catholicism um, all believe that you had to have your head covered men to pray. What does this text say? Is it a universal rule? I was at the Wailing Wall a year ago, and I was there doing a high holy day, Param. And uh, even me as a Gentile, uh, they had little uh, uh, cardboard things that you put on your head and you'd go down to pray. Yeah, like his. Like his. Okay, and you go down to pray. And everybody who went down there prayed was wearing one. What does this text say? Um, the, the, the Catholic Church do it. Um, the Pope has that thing on his head. But if you look at him, you won't see him, you won't see him officiate, I guess, in a mass or anything like that unless they have something on their heads. Okay, where did they get that at? Well, I know where they got it at. And it's a misinterpretation of Exodus 32. When Moses came down off the mountain, he had a veil over his head. Why? So that the Jews would not see the fading glory of God. And they interpreted that, that anytime you go into the presence of God, you should what? Veil yourself. Let me ask you a question. In your study of scriptures, where does Paul tell the Jewish people to quit doing that? It's not in there. It ain't in there. So is this cultural? Is he dealing with a specific issue at a specific church? Yes, absolutely. Men were veiling themselves. Why? They believed it. Why? Roman culture taught it. Okay? Philo made this quote. I quote, Let not wise men nor scholars of the wise men pray unless they be covered. Unquote. Okay? I see this as customs in places. I could not go down to the the praying wall um, unless I put a little thing on. Okay? And there was a bunch of guys around there with machine guns and I was going to put a little thing on. <laughs> God, your custom works for me today. <laughs> All right? <laughs> well, it was. And I had a camera and you weren't allowed to take pictures and I kept my camera out of sight. Why? <laughs> Let me start an international incident. All right? Please understand this. He's not talking about hats. He's talking about what? Veils. The translation is veils. I don't care what your Bible may say. The original language is a veil. Please understand that. 
The women in Corinth who were submitted to the authority of their husband, who were women who were submissive, who were women who understood their role in the home, were always, always, always veiled. Yet there was a women's movement that was wanting to break what they called the chains of matrimony. And they believed that you would unveil and I will show you my rebellion by my unveiling. And then they would take it as far as I would as a prostitute Unveil, which makes sense. If you're going to be a prostitute, you've got to have some kind of advertising. All right? But they would note they were in advertising because they would cut their heads short or sheared. Sheared. And he says, that in your culture is not a sign of modesty or submission to authority. Get rid of your hats. Is that what he says? No. Get rid of your hat and give it to your wife. (laughs) Ain't what he says. Is it universal or is it custom? Yes, custom. Okay, is it universal truth there? Absolutely. Why? Be submitted. You can look at people today and tell by their dress whether they have a rebellious heart or not. Please. I know what rebellion is. I used to have a PhD in it. And we take the role now of subjects. Do you know that when you look at me, I am absolutely one in identification with the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you know that? Yeah, I've seen you in the morning. There ain't no way. Okay. But you can't separate me. That's one of the massive things about in Him. You can't separate it. Remember when Wayne was teaching? Some of you remember that? Yeah. In uh, Romans 6, you have united with Jesus. And it means the mixing. The mixing of a material and then baking it in such a way that you can no longer separate the material. And our brother Wayne would call it, you are now a Jesus biscuit. You can't separate that thing no more. When you see me, you see Christ. Why don't we live like that? Why don't we carry that around? That's an amazing thought when you think about it. Paul never says anything to the Jews or to the Romans about their heads covered. So this is an issue that is definitely arising in Corinth. I also shared with you Plato. Plato speaking, or wait, Socrates speaking about going to Corinth. To Corinthianize used to be a person who was promiscuous. Okay? Because that's the way Corinth was. And Socrates made a statement. He loved Corinth. There was a place for relaxation for him. He says, I love Corinth, and I quote, Women run around bare-chested... Climbing poles and spearing pigs. I'm not sure how you get relaxation out of that, but um, it was a, a, a what you and I would know as a feminist movement. Why? We were slaves. We are now free. And I will let my freedom rule me. 
Right? You have a church that was dealing with the exaltation of knowledge, wisdom. You have a church that was dealing with the personalities. It was a church that had schisms, divisions. They had a freedom problem that they were allowing their freedom to literally rule them. They had a problem in that freedom of immorality. And the fact that what Paul is stating here is completely against a Jewish custom because that's the rabbinical teaching is that you had to have your head covered. Jews, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you Jews, take off your head coverings. He says, don't cover your head when you're praying or prophesying. Okay? Uh, you know, it's like in, in Russia, I kept getting caught in Russia. You pray for the meal, and then you pray after the meal. I guess you didn't choke on the thing. Okay? And you give thanks for it. And that one always got me. I mean, praying for the meal, okay, you got a whole group of pastors that you're with, and you're praying for the meal. But I'm always up and ready to leave and somebody's going to stand up and pray. And I was like, okay, and you don't ever pray sitting down. You either kneel or you stand. Okay, it's a custom. And I'll be honest with you, I got got caught a couple of times. Whoops. I was praying while I was walking. Because I pray without ceasing. I can spiritualize mine. Okay. Um, You know, you never read the Bible sitting down. Public reading of the Bible, everybody stands. You know, I've been in churches here in America that do that. I have, that's fine. That's fine. If you want to stand up when I read, great. I'm him. But if I sit back here, you guys don't all wonder what I was doing. Right? What's he doing? That's a little TV, the ball game's on. Okay, but it's stuff like that that we need to pay attention to. Pay attention to what your culture is dominating. Okay? Your culture does not rule you. I am free in Christ, absolutely. But are we here to glorify God in all things? Are we here because the unity of God should be in His people in such a way that all will know that we are children of God? The woman is to wear a veil. The man is not. Don't violate the customs that have a significance in your society. Okay? Let me tell you something. Let me use the illustration that I taught on just a moment ago, spoke on. The burning of the flag. Is it freedom of speech? I, sure, I guess. I, I don't know. I think it's a waste of money. Okay? But you know what? In my country, uh, my father was a 26-year Marine. Uh, was in World War II in Vietnam and Korea. Um, so um, I honor the flag. That flag will not get me into heaven. Okay, but I do honor the flag. I fly my flag on Flag Day. I fly it on the 4th of July and, and other times. I flew mine for a long... Well, I f- flew one a long time after 9-11 and then the, the weather and UVs and all the rest of it made it look like <laughs> it was one there. It was in New York City. And so I got rid of it and I got me a new one and I fly it intermediate. Okay, why? It, it isn't because that flag represents anything to me except that I am a free American. Okay, and I will honor that flag. Would I burn that flag? No. Even listen, I got news for you. Republican Democrats is irrelevant for me. They're all politicians. Okay, and those people can't get me saved. They can't keep me saved, nor can they add to my salvation. But I pray for them. All right. Now I want to know. I wanted to pick up one other thing on this applied design applied because this is fascinating to me, and I have literally gotten myself into trouble on this one. But it's what we're about. Every woman 
Verse 5, who has her head uncovered while what? You know what the implications of that text is? Women are praying and prophesying. Okay? Now, I've been around some people that get just, you can't have that woman pray. But this text here says, women are praying and prophesying. Okay? Um, here's what it doesn't say in church. You see it? Read your text. Is it in there? Is the woman in church to pray or prophesy? Is that what it's saying? Does it say if the woman is in church when she's praying or prophesying? Is that what it says? What does it say? Every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same woman whose head is shaved. Okay? Um, Remember, it says that women have the ability to do what? Talk to God about people. And he also has the ability to talk to people about God. Ain't that what praying and prophesying is? Intercession for the saints. So a woman is allowed to, it says right here, that she is allowed to talk to God about people. And she is allowed to talk to people about God. Okay? In the church. That ain't what the text says. Okay? That ain't what the text says. Don't make it say more than what it says. Why do we want to try to do that? Well, I think there's a number of women who are in pulpits this day who want that verse in there. And let me tell you something, it isn't in there. If God needed it in there, He would have put it in there. And He didn't put it in there. And so we don't need to say it. Alright? There are no modifiers here to indicate the location of the praying or the prophesying. Alright? So what is it saying? Well... If you omit, or by omitting, I guess, it is omitted, uh, any reference to a place or to a meeting, wherever and whenever it is proper for a man or for a woman to pray or prophesy, make sure that they maintain the distinction of their roles. Very easy. It's not a complicated text. He doesn't say where... It's proper and where it's not proper, does he? Okay? So, wherever it is, you can do this in term that it's proper in its appearance. Um, do it that your roles are maintained. Okay? I do have a footnote. It would be chapter 14. Same letter. Verse 34. Okay. First one says, Wherever and whenever it is proper for a woman to pray or prophesy, let her do so as long as she maintains her role of submission. Correct? Amen? Alright. Chapter 14, verse 34 says this. The women are to keep silent in the churches. They are not permitted to speak, 
but are to be subject themselves just as the law also says. Got it? So I can tell you one place that a woman cannot pray nor prophesy. Okay? Any questions? It's not a difficult test if you really think about it. Where else can they? Anywhere. Um, if, if I go back and I think about it, and I, I think it's... We've got to understand, there's one place that God says no. Okay? Um, proclaiming the gospel and praying for the hearers, she is not allowed to in the assembly of the church. I didn't write it. Why? It's God's design. He says, I will maintain my design of authority and submission. When it comes to the corporate worship, the God has established the male as the authority. Period. Men, please note this. You will step before a holy God and you will give an account of the spiritual leadership that you have given. Period. Okay? I don't care what you do. I don't care how you do it. But note this, men. You have been given dominion. You have been given rule. You have been given an authority. And you will stand before a holy God and give an account for the dominion and the rule in which you have dealt out. Please understand that. Please understand that. But women, you have been given the role of submission. And you will stand before a holy God and you will say, I have submitted most of the time. Or whatever it is you say. Alright? I mean, I know all the, the funnies. I know. My husband is the head, but I'm the neck. Okay? I know all of that stuff that's out there. I see it. I have people who, women, who like to remind me on a regular basis that they're submitted to their husband. And the only thing I can think of, this must be a confessional. Okay? Listen, if you've got to go around and tell people that you're submitted to the husband, who's got the problem? Okay? But I also know men who refuse to take the, the leadership role. And you know what? I look at the American family today and I can say without any equivocation whatsoever, the spiritual leadership of our country is in the man's hand and man is woefully lacking. And I know all of it. Well, you don't understand my wife. If I wouldn't even need you did it. Let me tell you something. It says in that text in chapter 14 that if your wife has a question, then she is to ask her own husband. All right? The problem in the church today is the wives have the questions and the husbands ain't got no answers. So they're going to go find them answers. Okay? But they're not submitted. That's because you're not there for the answers. If you're doing your responsibility, you won't have to worry about your wife being submitted. Wherever it is right, maintain the roles. Many want to make a big deal out of this. What about our freedom? What about our liberation? We want to wave our flag of independence. We want to wave Galatians. There's no male or female. There's no slaver. And in, in yada, yada, yada. Down the line. Give me a break, people. What are you saying? I am no longer submitted to my husband because I'm free in Christ? Okay. Yes, 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 yes. Men do abuse their authority. Absolutely. But you know what? God says, don't worry about it. I'll deal with it. 
So when it comes to praying and proclamation, understand your role of submission, your role of leadership. In Acts chapter 21, verses 8 and 9, Philip had four daughters. Okay, Philip the evangelist, the guy who went to Samaria, and then also, poof, and got the, the Egyptian eunuch and all the rest of it. I mean, he gives a whole new meaning to evangelism, don't he? I was there, and then I'm here. Okay, uh, and that was before airplanes. Okay, but he had four daughters. Okay, and his four daughters all had the gift of what? Prophecy. You know what my main gift is? Prophecy. Preaching. It's preaching. All right? He had four daughters who had the gift of prophecy. Where did they prophesy? I don't know. But I know one place that they did not prophesy. Okay? They did not do it in the gathering of the saints. Right? There was a custom in corn, and a man was to be uncovered when he prayed. Why? Don't wear your wife's veil. Don't wear a veil. He uses this illustration. For if a woman, he gives this out, he says, if, if a woman does this and her head is uncovered, she's no different than one who has her head shaved. Okay, that's a direct reference to a prostitute. Okay, it literally means sheared. Okay, to shear a woman's head off meant that she was a prostitute. And it usually was in the uh, temple of Dianus and they were the, the priestesses. And they would be completely bald and that was a sign that they were the, the... That's how the church made money. Anyway. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. Okay? He says, if you're not going to be obedient in this, you might as well just go the whole route. That's what he's saying. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. Okay, do you see what he just did? He says, listen, if it is shameful for you to have a bald head, woman, and you're not willing to take on the position of submission, you might as well be a prostitute. That's what Paul said. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's tough. That's some harsh words the Apostle Paul's given. Why? Your customs, where you're at, that shows the sign of submission is that you are veiled. If you're not willing to do that, you might as well go the whole gambit. Paul doesn't uh, look at it from the perspective of is this cultural? He looks at it from the roles that would be seen by the people. He uses a thing here in the middle of verse 6. He says, but if it is disgraceful for a woman, um, it literally means it's tulicus, and it means don't be confusing. Okay, it's disgraceful. He says, don't be confusing. Why? If, if you're not going to have your head veiled when you're, you're prophesying, when you're proclaiming Christ, if you're not going to have your head veiled when you're praying in public, then you're confusing the hearers. Do you get that? What would be the difference in, in Corinth? You had this great temple of Diana. Okay? You had this great temple of Artemis. Both of them were noted for the temple prostitutes. And they claimed to have insight into who? Into God. 
And he says, you Christian women, when you pull your veil back and you go against your culture, what makes you any different than the temple prostitutes of Diana or Artemis? Very simple. Is it cultural? Yes. Is it true? Absolutely. Absolutely. There are women who will dress in such a way, will they bring honor to God or shame to God? And I would just assume some of them that I have seen, shh, be quiet. I don't want you praying nor speaking of our Savior. Why? Because you look just like the world. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. You have two huge temples in Corinth. Both of them had priestesses who were prostitutes. They all had their heads shaved. And if the Christian women were all of a sudden taking this veil off, it was a sign of revolution. It was a sign of rebellion against the yoke of marital bliss. You might as well look the same as the temple prostitutes. Because your actions are speaking way louder than your words are. Right? So when I think about the design that is stated, that there's the design is the role of authority and submission, and I think about how it applies today, I've got to ask each and every one of you, how are you doing? Because let me share with you something. Your actions speak louder than your words. We studied uh, Matthew 26 this morning in our Sunday school class. And he says, Woe unto you Pharisees. He says, You keep people from, you hypocrites, you keep people from the kingdom. Okay, how do they do that? Okay, we are guilty of that. Sometimes our actions hinder people from the kingdom. Why? What do we have to offer? Think about 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. He says, Grace, mercy, and peace in God our Savior and our Lord Christ Jesus. Okay? Listen, grace. I am saved from the penalty of sin. Mercy. I am saved from the misery of sin. So in because of His grace and because of that mercy, guess what? I am at Peace. When? All times. All times. Every human being I've ever met in my entire life is looking for peace. They try to find it in relationships. They try to find it in bigger boats, bigger cars, bigger houses, drugs, wine, women, you name it. They're all wanting peace. And for a time they may grasp something, but something is shaking. It's fragile and it breaks and it's gone. God said, in my grace, through my mercy, guess what? You will have peace and people will seek you out. They will seek you out. That is a life that is living in practical holiness that will not hinder people. It is a life that is submitted to the culture in which I am in. It is a life who is submitted to the authorities in which I am under. It is a life that is submitted to the area and the responsibility that God has given me. Let me tell you something. I am Christ and Christ is me. But let me tell you something emphatically. Our roles are big time different. I can't save anybody. I can't sanctify anybody. But I can pray and I can preach. Why? Because my Savior was a man of prayer and a man of 
preaching. Okay? It's you and I, brothers and sisters. But until I get that other design figured out and accept and receive with great joy and privilege what He's called me to, you've got nothing to offer the people. Why? We have an enemy who wants to blur the lines. He wants to make the roles look the same. Because, you know, you're equal. Men, you need to look like men. Women, you need to look like women. And keep the beauty of both distinct. That's what Paul's telling us. Why? This is the way I planned it. He's stated as his design. He's applied to design. And next week, we'll see the design defended. Father, I give you the praise for this time. I praise you for your word. I praise you for my brother Paul. Lord, the amazing things that he does. And has still doing. Lord, I praise you that we are in Christ. That we are united as Christ. And you, Father. Lord, I don't understand that. I can't, even get, I can't even begin to grasp that. And yet, Father, I rest there. Father, it is by grace we've been saved. Father, I praise you for what you're doing. I praise you for this body of people. And Lord, what they mean to me and to my family. But yet, Lord, I praise you for the privilege to lead. And Father, I also understand I have no ability. Lord, help us all. Help us bow to where you would have us. Father, help us to walk in the design you would have us. And Father, as we do that, may we walk in a manner worthy. Father, may we walk in a manner that brings glory to you, whether we eat or drink. And Father, we give you the praise even now. In Christ's precious name, amen.